Father, we are about to open your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. This is your word. It dropped from your lips. It is your breath. We know this isn't a waste of time for us. You mean this word for our edification. You mean this word for our instruction in righteousness. You mean this word for us to understand the person of Christ. And what a text you've laid before us. <laughs> what a text for our struggling souls. There's gospel hope in this text. Would you plunge it into the deep ravines of our staggering heart? There's gospel balm here. Would you apply it evenly to the wounds of our injured spirits? There's gospel stitching here. Would you use this text to stitch our bleeding souls? Jesus, we are bleeding. But you have bled. So we have hope. Father, if we are going to find help, we are going to find help in your word. May we all leave proclaiming, if your word had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. This is our corporate plea. Amen. The earliest Christians believed in the resurrection not because they couldn't find a dead body, but because they found a living Christ. Last week, Jesus' resurrection. This week, our resurrection. If you're a skeptic to Christianity, this is a good Sunday for you to be here. We have skeptics in the text. If you're a Christian needing comfort, it's good that you're here. Because we find comforting truths in the text. If your body is hurting like it's never hurt before, this is God's providential timing in your life. This is a text for hurting bodies. Let me lay the context. Paul, a church planter, started the church in Corinth three to five years ago. The church, since his departure, really hasn't ran well, read well, or done anything well. They have not protected well the doctrine of the resurrection. Not Jesus' resurrection. Our resurrection. So Paul goes to work. Here's the passage division. Skeptical questions, verse 35. Biblical answers, verse 36 through 49. Skeptical questions, biblical answers. Look at verse 35, please. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Now, the tone reveals they are not inquiring genuinely. This is sneering, snarking skepticism. Asking questions with the cynical curl of the lip and a smug face. They are not genuinely interested in knowing how the resurrection will be accomplished. This is not honest inquiry. The resurrection seemed like a distasteful idea to the educated elite. The thought seemed ludicrous. There's a bit of Greek skepticism lurking behind these questions. These Corinthians saw these two completely incompatible. An eternal heavenly existence and the body. A grotesque conundrum. A 21st century equivalent to these skeptical questions might sound like this. Are you telling me that God will raise bodies from the dead? Okay, let's say someone was blown up by a bomb. Their body is in bits. You telling me God will collect all the pieces and put the body back together? What about bodies that have been devoured and digested by beasts? 
God is going to dig around in that animal feces and find the parts that belong to the Christian's body and work it back into the mix? Oh, okay, okay, what, what about this one, Kyle? Let's say a bug carried off a finger. In the resurrection, will that finger come crawling back to the hand? Oh, I lost a toe in Vietnam. Will I get that back? Is God going to find my toe? Kyle, some of these bodies have been dead for thousands of years. They are eaten by worms. Others lost at sea. Some cremated and their ashes spread in the ocean. Even in modern burials, no matter how well embalmed, everybody disintegrates in the grave. Skeptics to the bodily resurrection of believers aren't new. They've always existed. We find them in the 21st century just as they were found in the 1st century. These 1st century skeptics are asking the how question and the what question. Show me how the resurrection works. Draw me a picture. Present me with a slideshow. But church, their cynical questions may be your sincere questions. How will God raise our bodies? What will our new resurrected bodies look like? Skeptical questions, verse 30. Biblical answers, verse 36. You foolish person. Let's pause here. Hear the tone of Paul's reply. You foolish person. What stupid questions. This is shaming language. He dismisses their objections to the resurrection with scorn. Paul didn't say, you know, I can understand why this is hard for you to believe. No. He just calls them fools. And beloved, you may be thinking, my teachers in school always told me there are no dumb questions, but Paul says here, there are no dumb questions coming from a sincere heart. But these questions were not proceeding from a sincere heart. They were proceeding from a proud intellect. These people only pay lip service to the power of God. They walked by the principle of the resurrection on their way into the church gathering and scoffed at it. Jesus, like Paul, was always receiving pushback on the bodily resurrection. The Sadducees pushed back on Jesus. The Corinthians pushed back on Paul. They couldn't visualize it. And Paul doesn't intend to draw a diagram for them. However, he will point to a parallel experience in farming. Two questions, two skeptical questions, verse 35, two biblical answers, verse 36 through 49. We, we find in the biblical answers an agricultural analogy, seeds, verses 36 through 44, and a theological analogy, Adam, verses 45 through 49. An agricultural analogy, seeds. A theological analogy, Adam. In other words, the text is going like this. You've got two questions? Well, let me answer them by talking about seeds. And let me answer them by talking about Adam. Verse 36. You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. The Corinthians were very familiar with the process of planting and harvesting. Their lives depended on it. When a farmer puts a seed into the ground, life doesn't burst forth from the ground until the seed dies, germinates. Jesus made a similar statement in John chapter 12, verse 24. A specialist might point out that germination is not actually about a seed dying. However, Paul is not speaking as a horticulturalist or an agronomist, but as a pastor trying to teach a spiritual truth with an earthly analogy. 
the seed, whether it is wheat, flax, barley, or anything else, looks for all intents and purposes to be dead before it is planted. The point is, life, growth, emerges from the ground. The seed must be put in the ground and have dirt thrown on its face to eventually emerge from the ground. See the analogy? Sowing is the death and burial of the human body. This body must be put into the ground dead like a seed before it will come out alive. Paul is intending to point out the necessity of one life ending before the new life begins. Verse 37. And what you sow <laughs> is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. Farmers don't sow plants. They sow seeds. The seed is dull and lifeless, no clothes, naked, bare body of a kernel. Life emerges out of the kernel. The seed is followed by a plant. New life emerging from the corpse of the old. What you sow is not the body that is to be. The seed is small in comparison to what it produces. The seed does not bear the full shape and size of that plant. A watermelon seed compared to a watermelon, vastly different. Oak trees look nothing like acorns. A tomato doesn't look like tomato seeds. A, a tulip bulb is very ugly, but it produces a beautiful flower. The, the point, the seed looks nothing like the plant or tree that will come from it. Which brings us to the first resurrection comfort. There will be continuity and discontinuity in your resurrected body. There will be continuity and discontinuity in your resurrected body. There is a mysterious blend of continuity and discontinuity that exists between a seed and the plant it produces. For the Christian, when the body is sown in burial, it awaits a new body. The new body will absolutely come from the old. There will be a continuity. But the new body will be different from the old, like a watermelon seed is different than a watermelon. My, my future body is the oak tree. My current body is the acorn. My, my future body is the tulip flower. My current body is the bulb. What will our resurrection bodies be like? There will be identity with differences. Between your current body and your resurrected body, a strong continuity will exist along with a remarkable discontinuity. A body with both elements of continuity and discontinuity. Verse 38. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body God will give each seed its own body that's God will give each dead body its own new body the same phrase used here is used earlier when it describes God giving gifts to the church just as God gave gifts to the church he will give new bodies to the church. Just as God causes the crops to grow, he will cause the body to rise. Just as a farmer plants the seed and goes to bed with confidence knowing growth will come, so we are confident when it is time for our seed to be buried, we know God will make it come out of the ground. Let's, let's state it another way, the second resurrection comfort. The resurrection body will be identifiable, but not identical. The resurrection body will be identifiable, but not identical. It will be identifiable as a body, 
it will not have an elephant's trunk and 12 eyes and some new appendages. It will look just like a body. It will be identifiable as a body, but it will not be identical to your current body. Your current body bears the scars of the fall. It affects the appearance. The new body will have none of those scars. Our resurrection is organically tied to Christ's own resurrection. Jesus' resurrected body was remarkably different and remarkably the same. He could eat, drink, laugh, speak, but he could also walk through walls, appear and disappear. It seems he could travel great distances in a split second. And you may say, well, Kyle, he was God. That's why he could do that. Yes, he was God, is God. I don't think those abilities, however, were attached to his divinity. I think they were attached to his resurrected body. He was living out his humanity in the new resurrected body. The new body seems to have properties it did not have before. Our resurrected bodies will be similar to but different from our present bodies. Both things can be true. Two things are absolutely true. The identity survives, yet it's not the exact body, nor is it a different body altogether. This is important for the Corinthians to know because they were thinking the new body had to be a resuscitation of the old body. That's the only category they had for it. But the resurrection of the dead does not mean the resurrection of mortal bodies. Dr. Witherington states, To most Greeks and Romans, resurrection would probably have been understood as the resuscitation of the corpse. A return to the bodily condition the person had before death. Church, this is not a spruced up version of the old body. Not the old body with patchwork done to it. This new body will not be killable. No longer susceptible to things like that. When Jesus walked the earth for 40 days after his resurrection, he could not be killed during that time. He was in an immortal body. In order to remain faithful to Christ, you must, you must possess a strong, robust doctrine of your bodily resurrection. Otherwise, you will go through life frantic and panicking. Jesus spent a lot of time teaching about our resurrected bodies. He did not want this doctrine to be neglected. Joni Erickson Tata was in an accident when she was 18 years old and was paralyzed from the neck down. She's a, a quadriplegic. She began meditating on this new body she will receive and she said, I still can hardly believe it. I with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling from the shoulders down will one day have a new body light, bright, and clothed in righteousness. Powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope this gives someone with a spinal cord injury like me? She continues. Or someone who is cerebral palsied, brain injured, or has multiple sclerosis. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, hearts, and minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. In another place, she wrote, I can't wait for the day when I'm given my brand new glorified body. I'm going to stand up, stretch, dance, kick, do aerobics, comb my hair, blow my own nose. And what is so wonderful is that I'll finally be able to wipe my own tears. But I won't need to. Because the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that God will personally wipe away every tear. The third resurrection comfort God brings life out of the ground. God brings life out of the ground. 
The verb in verse 38 is passive, not middle. It, it does not come to life on its own. Someone brings it to life. It's a divine passive. God willed it. God who makes seeds burst forth from the ground will make bodies burst forth from the ground. A radical transformation happens for a seed to become a tree. But the power is in the seed. Unlike here, where the power is not in the body. The body is dead. The power is from outside the body. When the body crumbles and those same elements are used to fashion your new body, it will be a unique body. No one will have a body like that one. The verse says, each seed its own body. God gives different types of bodies. Paul will use a number of comparisons, all in the fields of science, to illustrate. Paul appealed first to botany, now to zoology. Notice verse 39. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. The new body will have flesh, not animal flesh, but human flesh. When Paul saw the resurrected body of Christ, he saw skin, and it wasn't animal skin. It was human skin. There, there are many kinds of flesh. Flesh for land animals, flesh for fish, flesh for birds. The outward dress is different for each body. You put tiger flesh on a bird and it wouldn't fly. You put rhino flesh on a fish and it would sink to the bottom. You don't expect to feel scales when you rub the arm of your wife. When you put your hand on the back of your husband's neck, it doesn't feel like a crocodile. You know why? God assigned different bodies to them than to us. We have distinguishing skin. When you kiss the cheek of your spouse, it's not slimy like a goldfish. Paul appeals to botany, then zoology, now cosmology. From the study of plants to the study of animals, now to the study of the universe. Verse 40. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. Paul moves from terrestrial bodies to celestial bodies. Bodies on earth to bodies in the solar system. God gives all bodies. He assigns the types of bodies. Animal bodies on land have their God-given glory. And astronomical bodies in the sky have their unique God-given glory. God has infinite creative capacities. Verse 41. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. These heavenly bodies have different sorts of splendor and brightness. They generate light in different degrees and in different ways. Even the stars differ in brilliance and brightness and glory from one another. They have different degrees of splendor. Verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. Paul appeals to botany, then zoology, then cosmology, now to anthropology. Studying man. He's just shown that there are earthly animal bodies and heavenly planet bodies. So Paul will now stick to the, to the same earthly heavenly dichotomy, but will switch to human bodies, human flesh. God made human bodies, but he will make another kind of human body called the resurrected human body. Different splendor, different glory. 
Just as heavenly bodies are different than earthly bodies, so our current body will be different from our future one. Paul is arguing that earthly beings have earthly bodies which are appropriate for earthly existence, while heavenly beings have heavenly bodies appropriate for their heavenly existence. In verses 42 through 44, Paul gives four sets of contrasts. He lays out four staccato clauses. And I'd like for you to see the pattern. It is sown, it is raised. 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 Now let's look at the first contrast. It is sown perishable. We are perishable. Our bodies have a limited shelf life. We are good until a certain date. Our current bodies are susceptible to corruption, subject to deterioration and eventual death. Even as I speak, our bodies are gradually decaying. Our bodies get gray hairs. They become limited in mobility. They are subject to decay. They will only last for a meager period of time. Others will smell the foulness of our corpse. Which leads us to the fourth resurrection comfort. For those of you whose seed is breaking down, it's okay. For those of you whose seed is breaking down, it's okay. Are you perishing? Your bones are breaking. Your breath is shortening. Your body is stopping. You're in constant pain. Aching body, broken hips, arthritis destroying your cartilage. Your back gets worse and worse. It's broken. Your feet hurt night and day. They don't want to walk anymore. It's excruciating. Chronic pain, chronic illness, chronic disease. Your body is decaying. You decay. You will be bedridden. Your body will eventually disintegrate and decompose. Dirt will be thrown on your face like dirt thrown on a seed. What is the greatest frustration with your current body? What is the greatest frustration with your current body? The fifth resurrection comfort. By your seed breaking down, God is weaning you from this world. By your seed breaking down, God is weaning you from this world. Charles Spurgeon, you know, uh, I read after him a lot and like him. I have his bust in my office. Um, I talk to him every day. We... Charles Spurgeon is long dead and with the Lord. Charles Spurgeon described a conversation with his body as it aged. He talked to his aging body and said this, You poor body, you have not yet been newly created. The venom of the old serpent still taints you. But you shall yet be delivered. You shall rise again. You poor body which drags me down to the dust in pain and sorrow. Even you shall rise and be remade in the redemption of the body. <laughs> Talk to your body. Preach to your body. It is my job to prepare you to die well. When the seed begins to break down, for you not to lose hope. 
It's meant to be this way. Death in the Bible is always seen as an intrusion. There is a reason we rage against death. We were not made for it. You will be a seed scattered from death's hand. But Christian, you will be imperishable. You will be raised for good. Alive forever. The resurrection completely swallows up the broadest and deepest effects of the fall. We are sown in decay, but raised in decay's reversal. God is the ultimate grave robber. He will bring us out. Hey, hey, how's this sound? No pharmacies on the new earth. No wheelchairs. No crutches. No more chiropractors. Antibiotics, staph infections, gone. No more acid reflux. No more root canals. No more back pain. No more aching knees. No more insomnia. On the new earth, every muscle in your body will scream, Immortality! Every joint will cry, I will never ache again. Every hair will laugh, I will never go gray. Every fiber will shout, I'm unkillable. Joni Erickson Tata, again, said, I hope I can take my wheelchair to heaven with me. Now, I know that's not biblically correct, but I hope to push my wheelchair to the throne of Jesus. Notice, I'll be walking, and I'm going to say, Jesus, do you see that wheelchair right there? Well, you were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble, because that wheelchair is a lot of trouble. But Jesus... The weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. So thank you for what you did in my life through that wheelchair. In other words, God used the wheelchair to wean her from this world. He uses the breaking down of the seed to wean us from this world. The sixth resurrection comfort. You can't stop the perishing. You can't halt the decay. You can't fight the breaking down of the seed. This all happens for your ultimate good. You can't stop the perishing. You can't halt the, the decay. You can't fight the breaking down of the seed. This all happens for your ultimate good. You can't fight death. We hate death. That's why we buckle up, have airbags, and, and drink lots of water. The, the cosmetic industry tries to fight death, actively battling it, warding off signs of aging. But gravity wins. You can't stay looking young. We will try anything to lengthen our lives and try anything to make us look younger. The best medical coverage in the world can't keep you alive in the end. I am all for clean water, taking vitamins and working out. But your insane workout reg regimens cannot stop the inevitable. The seed breaking down is unavoidable. Our never-ending game at self-preservation reveals we don't understand our coming resurrection. Verse 43. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Returning to these four sets of contrast, it is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. 
Paul's drawing a contrast between what is and what will be. Differentiating between the pre-resurrection body and the post-resurrection body. The bare seed is sown in dishonor. The corpse that is planted is not beautiful. Look in a casket. Take a look at the sunken and cold. Dishonor. It's like death is laughing. <laughs> I got another one. Even the most faithful believer dies in a state of dishonor. You are not meant for death. You were sown in humiliation. Notice the antithetical parallelism. Sown one way, raised another. The body they saw was frail and weak and sunken. The body we will see then is plump, full of vitality and living in honor. Death will not laugh in the end. The resurrection body will laugh in the end. There's a big difference between the body sown and the body raised. It is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. Our bodies are weak. And they're just getting weaker. Their creatureliness and feebleness and transitoriness become more and more evident as the days pass. We are subject to illness, injury, tiredness. We harbor diseases. The new body will not harbor diseases. It will not go flat, go down, or go weak. We will not suffer from frailty. Bodies will not break down. They will not age. They will not hurt. Our perishable, weak, inglorious body becomes a, an imperishable, strong, glorious body. It will be indestructible by sickness and the ravages of time. Verse 44. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. It is sown perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Paul's contrasting the present body with the future body. Our current bodies are suited for life down here. They are not suited for the new creation. There is a body which is appropriate for earthly existence and there is a body which is appropriate for heavenly existence. We need new bodies for the new creation. There's a dress code for the new creation. Without it, we will not be able to gain entrance. New bodies belong to the new creation. Natural. The word natural here, natural is a synonym for fallen Fallen bodies will be replaced by unfallen bodies. Bodies that cannot fall or bear results of the fall. We will exchange bodies that have an expiration date for bodies that never expire. We understand corruption, dishonor, weakness, and natural bodies. We feel that on the daily. But it's hard for us to comprehend uncorruptible, honorable, glorious, powerful, spiritual bodies bodies spiritual doesn't mean non-material it doesn't mean bodiless the new earth will not be bodiless it will be full of bodies physical bodies don't misunderstand that spiritual body language Paul is not saying you're a ghost you become some non-material ethereal disembodied spirit this is temporal bodies versus everlasting bodies the everlasting bodies are described as spiritual. Spiritual bodies that will be physical bodies at the same time. There is a human body engineered for this world. And there is a human body, body engineered for the next world. You see what Paul is doing? Paul picked out areas that seem to identify folly to the Corinthians. 
They're saying, these busted and broken bodies can't live forever. Paul agrees. New bodies are coming. The seventh resurrection comfort, God will reverse Eden. God will reverse Eden. The repercussions of the sin in Eden will be reversed. He, he will reverse the garden. He will reverse the curse. Adam and Eve first had bodies like our resurrected bodies. But after they sinned, their bodies turned to natural bodies that could feel pain, contract sickness, and die. Our bodily resurrection is reversing the garden. It's the restoration of Eden on the new earth. When, when God makes the new earth, he is remaking Eden. This time, no satanic snakes allowed. We have not yet experienced the unfallen bodies. There's mystery there. Adam and Eve had them, <laughs> then lost them. Two skeptical questions, verse 35. Two biblical answers, verse 36 through 49. We find in the biblical answers an agricultural analogy, seeds. And a theological analogy, Adam. Paul says, you've got two questions? Let me answer them by talking about seeds. Let me answer them by talking about Adam. Paul ends the agricultural analogy in Genesis and he begins his theological analogy in Genesis. The Genesis account is all over this passage. Paul doesn't fail to give constant allusions to the creation narrative. Verse 45. Thus it is written. He, he's speaking with authority here. It stands. Thus it is written. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Paul's loosely quoting Genesis 2-7. God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. We are habitually born in the form of Adam. He's our representative head. We are forever in Adam until by regeneration and faith we are moved from being in Adam to being in Christ. Christ in our verse is referred to as the last Adam. Every human being is in, is in one of these two Adams. Are you in Jesus? Or are you still in the first Adam? The first Adam was created from the dust of the ground. The last Adam was raised from a tomb in the ground. In the creation story, God breathed life into human beings. That's how they became in the first Adam. In the redemption story, God breathed spiritual life into human beings. That's how you become in the last Adam. Adam dug a grave through his rebellion. Jesus emptied a grave through his obedience. Verse 46. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. And then the spiritual. Our natural bodies are inherited because we belong to Adam the old order of humankind is in Adam. It's natural. The new order of redeemed kind is in Christ. It's supernatural. Adam, a prototype of our natural bodies. Christ, a prototype of our resurrection bodies. We have the body of Adam. We will have the body of Christ. One destined for the grave, the other destined for glory. Our current bodies are after the pattern of the first Adam. Our every resurrection body will be after the pattern of the last Adam. Look at verse 47. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man <laughs> is from heaven. As was the man of dust so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Paul gives this earthly, heavenly dichotomy. There are below and above terms used. Earthly, heavenly. Lesser, greater. Man of earth, man of heaven. Paul setting up a network of metaphors and similes Another federal representative had to come. 
The first Adam failed us. There was a man of dust, Adam. There is a man of heaven, Christ. You will hear Christ referred to as the last Adam and the second Adam. The last Adam, verse 45. The second Adam, verse 47. Now you read the text and you say, how do we get to experience this wonder? <laughs> the second Adam, the last Adam, made it possible. He was imperishable, but came to earth and became perishable so that the perishable might become imperishable. He was imperishable, unkillable, but came to earth and became perishable, killable, so that the perishable, you, might become imperishable. Jesus, who deserves life, experienced death, so that those who deserve death might experience life. Verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. The first Adam will give way to the last Adam. Sown in corruption in Adam. Raised incorruptible in Christ. We will possess bodies fitted for our heavenly existence. We are in the image of God now but it is defaced. Then it will no longer be defaced. We will be the perfectly restored image of God. The eighth resurrection comfort. The first Adam's fall damned you. The last Adam's faithfulness woos you. The first Adam's fall damned you. The last Adam's faithfulness woos you. The first Adam lost your soul. The last Adam rescued your soul from Adam's fall. What Adam ruined in the garden, Jesus redeemed on the cross. His blood made payment for sin. You are fallen, you are in a fallen, broken body because you've sinned against a holy, righteous God. When I speak of Adam's fall, don't think you're not responsible for that. You sinned in Adam. Adam's fall was your fall. Adam's plunge into sin was your plunge into sin. He did what you would have done. He did in the garden what you do in your heart. Are you still in the first Adam? Have you not yet repented of your sin and put your faith in the claims of Christ? Dear one, the cross woos you. The cross calls you. Come. The ninth resurrection comfort. Knowing there is a bodily resurrection, worship in the mystery, Old Paul leaves the church with unanswered questions. <laughs> Which means they don't need the questions answered in order to remain faithful to Christ. They don't need the questions answered in order to long for the resurrection. Well, if I die at age 80, will I be 80 in the resurrected body? If I die at age 25, will I be 25 in, in my new resurrected body? Jesus, didn't, didn't he eat fish in his resurrected body? Usually that carries repercussions. Eating has consequences. Well, we use the bathroom on the new earth. The Bible does not give an abundance of details about, about what our life in these new resurrected bodies will consist of. There are perplexities associated with the resurrection. There are mysteries and we are intended to worship in the mystery. To worship until the mystery becomes a reality. 
knowing there is a bodily resurrection, worship in the mystery. The tenth and final resurrection comfort, knowing there is a bodily resurrection, live courageously. Knowing there is a bodily resurrection, live courageously. That's what Hebrews 11.35 says. There were women who knew there was a better resurrection and it caused them to live courageously. Christian, this life is as bad as it's ever going to be. We just got to get through this. Your greatest problem has already been solved. The day you die, the struggle is over. All the elect in the grave will hear his voice and come out of the grave. We don't fear going to a tribe of cannibals and attempting to reach them with the gospel. We don't fear what will happen to our bodies because there is a resurrection. John Patton wanted to go reach cannibals. One of his profs in seminary begged him to stay and not throw away his life amongst the cannibals. Another dear old man near death tried to deter Patton from going. And he said, the cannibals, you will be eaten by the cannibals. To which Patton replied, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years and soon you will be laid in the ground. There to be eaten by worms. It makes no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or eaten by worms. For in that great day my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. Knowing there is a bodily resurrection, live courageously. Father, the venom of the old serpent still taints our bodies. It drags our bodies down to the dust and pain and sorrow. Father, our seeds will break down. They are perishing as we speak. Yet one day, they shall burst forth from the grave. On that day, we shall rise again, immortal, unfazed, eternal, sinless. Then we shall fall before your feet, and you shall receive the glory due your name. Not from fallen bodies, but unfallen bodies. Not from fallen creatures, but from redeemed creatures. Amen.